Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and wildest true crime cases in history. And we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking at the wild case of Robert Durst. Robert Durst, not the musician who is called James Durst. No, not him. No. No, not him. Definitely not him. Okay, great. Disclaimer. How are you? Great, thank you. How are you? Good. I had an unfortunate incident. Oh, God. So, (laughs) cast your mind back to (sighs) season one. Oh, lordy. Season one, I think it's episode seven or something. Okay. Our old pal, uh, Dorothea Puente. Oh, yes, the book. I've been unpacking my house. The fucking book is still in my possession. And I feel like it's like the Annabelle doll. Like it's just appearing and I'm just like, "Ah, Dorothea. (laughs) And her fucking face is on the front cover. And my mum was like, just throw it in the bin. Just throw it in the bin. Get rid of it. And I was like, I can't. I can't. And I sort of took it over to the bin and I was like, I feel like if I do this. Something terrible is going to happen and I like, oh, she's going to haunt me or something. And I genuinely, I could not put it in the bin. There were forces at work. I could not put it in the bin. So it's just there. She's just there. What if I need to make catsup? Like- <laughs> <laughs> I can just picture it. You, you put her in the bin, right? And you like trip over in your kitchen and like land on the knife rack and one happens to be loose and then it, and it comes out and stabs you in the heart. Or I don't like know. Bleach pours itself in my like falls over and falls into my porridge by yeah. accident or something, and then I fall down dead. And Dorothea Puente's book is just there <laughs> on the top <laughs> like, of the world, looking at me, like open. <laughs> and then you set on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened, and I still do. I give it to Charity. I don't know what to do with it, and I've, I've been stressing about this ever since I bought it. Why did I do that? You did it for the entertainment. I mean, it was great. It was a lull at the time, but God damn it. I don't know what to do. I think charity shop because then at least maybe some good can come from it. I don't mind having it. I can take it off your hands. I don't mind like possessed demon stuff. You know, you're, that, well, I've got already, butt demons. So. Yeah, you're already possessed. Like. So it's cool. I'm not afraid. I, what, I, you know, I went into your loft the other day and, you oh, know. Yeah, we went demon hunting. I did. And it was a fun time. It was a fun time. I was very stressed about that. I did not. Why? You were stood in the hallway watching me go into your loft. I made it onto the ladder. The first step. I stuck my head in after you'd gone up there. Yeah. Well, so, right, I've moved house and there's a big attic and we hadn't gone up there. Like, my husband, like, is a bit disabled. Uh, is he all right with me saying that? I don't know. Well, he, ha- he is. Yeah, he is. Thank you, you are. Yeah, all sorry. right. Like, he won't admit it, but, like, he had a spinal injury. He do not walk so good. And ladders aren't his friend. Mm-hmm. So he's not been up there. Mm-hmm. I've not been up there because spiders right. and ghosts mm-hmm. and dark. So Helen come round to... Helen come round... Helen come round... Helen came round to help me unpack because trying to do anything with a baby is just fucking impossible. And I love to organise. She's she's could give Marie Kondo a, a run for her money, I reckon, Helen Anderson. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you. And she's like, have you not been in have you, have you, have you not been in the attic? <laughs> it's my impression of you. 
<laughs> Thank you. No, she'll like, I'll go. I'm like, well, well, don't die. So she goes up there and she's like, oh my God. Oh God, what? There's like a painting and it's facing the wall. And there's writing on the back of it, and I'm just like, fuck off. Like, what is that? It's going to be some, like, Dorian Gray shit, like, I don't know, or, like, the painting off of Ghostbusters, you know, the one oh, yeah. where Zool lives. Mm-hmm. Is that Zool? <laughs> Zool? There is no, what is it? There is no Dana, only Zool. I'm trying to remember what G- Ghostbusters that I think is. it's Ghostbusters 2, where there's all the pink slime. Oh, yeah. I used to be so scared of the bathtub after I saw that. Because I just really didn't want the slime to come out of the tap. Get you. Yeah. I don't really remember too well. Because when I was in America in October, I had a day to myself. And because it was around Halloween, there was one channel that just played Halloweeny movies on repeat all day, every right. day. So I had like, I watched Ghostbusters about 12 times. So <laughs> <laughs> I ain't afraid of no But skills. I don't know which one it was. But yeah. Anyway, well, continue I, the story. Yeah, so I, I was just, God, please leave it alone. I'm, I'm going to have to move already. We've only just got here. There's a demon in the attic, like demon painting. Oh, my God. And then um, some of you will have seen it because we put it on socials, actually, because I had to. Yeah. The only way I was brave enough to go into the attic was to hold the phone up <laughs> to look through the screen. <laughs> Um, it's not real but, if it's on a screen. Yeah, she turns around and she turns the the painting around and uh, ah, it's actually a really nice mirror. I keep thinking about it though. It's fucking huge. It How did big. they get it? I think it's bigger than the hole. It's not bigger than the hole. It's not bigger That's than the really hole. That's a really big loft hatch. She's is got it? a really impressive loft hatch. After experiencing her loft hatch, I'm thinking, well, I need one of those. It's one of those pull down ones with the ladders built into it. It's rather... Just convenient. That's the one thing I hate about going into my loft is like balancing the ladders in the hole and then getting scared that they might potentially fall whilst I'm still in the loft. And then I'll be stuck up there because I didn't take my phone with me. What do you do? I have spent a lot of time thinking about this. Yes. Because I had that thought when you pulled it down and the ladder came down and I was like, oh, brilliant. Nobody can break into my house and steal the ladder away, trapping me in the attic. But then I thought, well... Realistically, my hallway is, what, two metres high? The loft hatch is like two metres above the ground at best. Why do people get stuck in those? That's not that far to fall. And also, if you just get down, like you go through the hatch and you let yourself down on your arms, even if you can't support your body weight, right, you reach down and you're at your full body length and, like, your hands give way, you're only falling, like, a foot two foot at best a meter absolute max you're not gonna hurt yourself that bad i, I, I don't know i, I still like, think it apart would be... from you because you're minute you'll be <laughs> falling 17 feet <laughs> <laughs> true yeah i still think it might be quite painful well you might have a bruise on your bum my bum okay although i guess if you're if your hatch is over the stairs but that's a whole different set of problems you're not going to use a ladder anyway so where did this whole trope come from oh no i'm trapped in the attic because someone took my ladder it's not that far just jump Old people, they would fucking their bones would crumble. <laughs> They'd break a hip. What was if you had a hip replacement? Then you're bionic, even better. You're the fucking Terminator. My mother-in-law's got two hip replacements. No, way. she's basically a cybernetic organism that makes great cheese straws. Oh yeah. <laughs> we had a few drinks last night, and we started talking. I don't know whether this is appropriate to say right now, but I'm going to say it. It's too late now. Done it now. I've done it now. 
Basically, imagine if you had a true crime podcast. Where, which we do. The, We're doing we, it right now. Yes, but the, but the podcast was someone reporting murders, which they'd actually done. They didn't spis- like. Sp- oh, right. So, hang on. Where are you going with this? I'm saying. Helen's about to tell me. No, I'm not going to... No, I've not done anything. But at what point... That's what somebody who does something would say. But at what point would they get arrested? Well, I really hate that you've brought this up because I'm sure a lot of people are actually going to know the name Robert Durst, but um, we might actually touch on a similar situation later. Yeah. Today. Oh, 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 okay, right. So, um... Hold that thought, Helen. Oh Anderson. shit! Oh, is that a nice slide? But what I'm—it's a great segue. Again, and- yes, and a good transition. But like that was just my thought last night after a few champers. Imagine having a podcast where it was true, true crime, and it was essentially a confession, but in in the format of a story. At what point I'd be frightened? It would. Did the police get involved? Yeah, I well, don't know. I'm not going to confess killing a person because I haven't. I hope yet. not. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah. I've not. Anyway, that is all for today. Welcome to Devils in the Welcome Dark. Welcome to Devils in the Dark. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. On that, I'm going to segue from that into setting the scene for today's Ooh, yeah. episode. It's October 2001, and a teenage boy is fishing in Galveston Bay, Texas, when he finds a man's torso washed up. Oh, my going to texas in a couple of days oh yeah you are you might find a torso you might not you don't fish as police investigate they find the severed arms and legs belonging to the torso in separate bin bags that were also washing up and floating around the bay grim what they didn't find is the head as police empty the contents of the bags of the limbs they also find other sort of litter and detritus including which is a newspaper with a delivery address printed on it. 2213 Avenue K, Galveston. In the bag of limbs? One bag had like the left lower leg. One bag had a thigh. One bag had the right arm. Yeah. I think this newspaper was found in a leg bag. Don't quote me on that. But they have an address now. The property contains two apartments. Number one was rented by an old man named Morris Black. And number two is rented by a mute older lady, Dorothy Siner. Okay. She's rarely seen as she travels regularly. And according to the landlord, Klaus, Klaus Dillman, she's the ideal tenant because she paid her rent a year in advance and she doesn't talk. She's the ideal tenant because she don't make any noise. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) basically. (laughs) But then she could listen to her music pretty loud, but she ain't going to be screaming. She's not going to be singing along. Can a mute physically not speak? There can be several reasons why somebody is mute. But yeah, yeah, it's it's generally the inability to speak or make sound. I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone that is mute. Just purely pointing out that she can't make much noise herself. The landlord recalls that a man he believes to be Mrs. Siner's brother-in-law has been seen coming in and out of the property occasionally. When police visit the building, they find blood on the handrail outside with trail that leads to the road. And in the communal hallway, they find a blood trail that's been poorly cleaned up, leading into apartment number two. They get a search warrant and enter the apartment to find it spotless, sparsely furnished, but there's drop cloths covering the kitchen floor. 
When they remove the cloth, they find some knife cuts in the flooring, which they lift up and then find a blood stain. Oh! The blood belongs to the neighbour of apartment one, Morris Black, and so do the dismembered body parts. No! But who killed him? Where is his head? Police search the bins outside the house for further evidence and they find a receipt for the purchase of the drop cloths, a paring knife and a bow saw from a local hardware store. And they also find an appointment card for a man named Robert Durst to pick up some eyeglasses at a local clinic. I'd like to point out, I love the term eyeglasses. I know. It's like, I, I, well, where else are they going to go? <laughs> but was, glasses? When like, I was writing this, I was like, well, they're just glasses. I wouldn't say eyeglasses. I'm just going to put glasses. And then I was like, I really like eyeglasses. This, this, <laughs> this only made me laugh because recently I had a comment on my YouTube channel, which was, Helen, where did you get your eyeglasses from? And I was like, <laughs> eyeglasses. I guess drinking glasses. Oh, oh shit. Spectacles. Yes. Spectacles. Also, he's quite sloppy, isn't he? Just leaving shit laying around everywhere. I'm not going to make any comment on that just yet. Okay. But yes. Right. So yeah, police go to the clinic where this appointment is supposed to have happened and ask about this mysterious Robert Durst because his name is nowhere. It's not on the lease. He's, it's not the same name as, you know, yeah. like anyone else. Who is he? They don't know. But he missed the appointment on the card. So the detective is like, can you just give me a ring if he turns up then? Okay. So they do that. He gets a 911 page because it's 2001. People still use pages from the clinic. And as he gets to the clinic, he sees Robert Durst pulling out of the car park in his car, ends up right behind him at the traffic lights. So Durst gets pulled over and, you know, another cop car comes. And they don't even have to search the car because just by looking through the windshield, the back windshield, they can see a bow saw. Oh, God. I thought you were going to say it. The head. The head. (laughs) There's a head on the passenger seat. No, 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 no head. The bow saw. So they've got him. They've got, they can tie the bow saw to the evidence found at the the thing. So they've got reason for arrest. Right. According to the detective, Cody, he's like, the guy looks like a librarian. There's no way that this guy, like killed and dismembered a man right okay like, let's let's never it. judge a book by its cover yeah we, we all know exactly that that's not the case yeah but what they soon find out is that robert durst is so much more than a librarian looking guy he's a big fucking deal really he belongs to the real estate mogul durst family okay one of the wealthiest families in manhattan mm-hmm. he's currently in galveston hiding from a haunting past that is trying to catch up with him Oh. Before we go back to the start, let's take a minute to talk to you about this week's wonderful first sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Calm. In today's fast paced world, taking care of your mental health is more important than ever. If you're looking to reduce stress, increase mindfulness, and improve your overall well being, you need Calm. That's right. Calm can help you with your self care and lead you to a happier, healthier life, whether you want to stress less, sleep more, or just build in some you time. They have sleep stories, relaxing music tracks, and daily movement sessions, all designed to give you the tools to improve the way you feel. And there's also guided meditations to suit your goals. New content is added weekly, and they even have expert led talks on topics such as tips for overcoming stress and anxiety, handling grief, improving self esteem and caring for relationships and more. I really love the app, especially when I'm trying to sleep at night and my ADHD brain is like, you know, deciding that it wants to think about 
all of the characters in Lord of the Rings and their, you know their <laughs> plot points and why they were bad and good people. You know what I mean? Like, and sometimes I just need to harness my my thoughts and make it f- like concentrate on one singular thing. And so, the sleep stories or um, some of the like bedtime things are great f- for me to just focus on and yeah. without going like all over the shop because. Sleep for me can be quite difficult unless I'm absolutely exhausted because I've exhausted myself out. Like I go to bed and that's when my brain comes alive. <laughs> and so sometimes it's nice to have a bit of help. I like that because I'm so indecisive and that's how my like and my anxiety will get even worse. But like I find the apps just so easy to use. Like, OK, I need to sleep today. I feel like I need sounds rather than a story. And so I'll just go pick a sound and that's it. Mm. Like it goes. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash devils. Go to C-A-L-M dot com slash devils for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash devils. Now, back to Robert Durst. So let's go back to the start. Robert Allen Durst was born on the 12th of April 1943 in New York City to his father, Seymour Durst, and his wife, Bernice. Robert, who was also known as Bob or Barbie, Barbie Durst. Bobby became the oldest of four children. I apologise in advance because I'm probably going to cycle between Robert and Bob and Bobby. He had a younger brother, Douglas, then Wendy, and then Tommy, the last brother. The Durst family gained their wealth after Seymour's father emigrated to America and began managing and developing real estate. They're super rich. In an interview with Robert, he was quoted as saying that the Durst were always in the top five or six property owners in Manhattan. And I'm talking like skyscraper, not just like, you know, a couple of rental properties or whatever, like fucking massive buildings. So they're not just managing them, they're developing them. They're a big fucking deal. And they're like a dynasty as well. There's like Seymour and his brothers and then it, you know, their children, right. everyone kind of becomes part of the Durst organisation okay. at so some point. So if it was today, they would probably be like a Netflix series on their family. Like, you know, yeah, they like would a reality like drama show. or like, yes, yeah, you like know. succession type. Like, or like the real housewives, but the real... The real Durst. The no. real, the Durst well, of Durst Manhattan. No, because they, they would be far too serious really? for that. Oh, they'd be yeah. even bigger than that. Yeah, like it's like old money now. According to Robert, at the age of seven, his dad woke him up in the middle of the night one night to go see go see mommy. And he waved at his mother through a hallway window as she stood on the roof in her nightgown. No, no, no. Witnesses at the time said that she fell. There was four members of staff said that she fell from the roof. However, it's been reported as a suicide in some of the papers at the time, and it does sound like a suicide. According to Robert, it was a long fall. What roof was this? Of their home. Their home. I'm just picturing a skyscraper. It wasn't a skyscraper, but it was like a four-storey sort of... I didn't actually see the house, but in the So why did he say, let's go see Mommy? Did he know? It's fucking weird, isn't it? Like, I don't know. Like, why would you be like, oh, your mum's on the roof? Maybe he thought that, like, seeing her child would bring her down, or maybe she genuinely... Maybe she genuinely was there, like, like just having a nice time on the roof. Yeah. A lot of these New York places have rooftop gardens, don't they? Yeah, but it wasn't. She was just on the roof. Right. Yeah, Yeah. Perhaps he tried to talk her down. And it's, then thought it's, it's weird, but like his younger brother Douglas says that that never happened. 
Oh. Like she she definitely fell or, or committed suicide from the roof. That did happen. Yeah. But Douglas said that Robert never saw it. But there's no way to know no. what happened. And the sort of the drama around him seeing it, it does kind of make a bit of sense when you sort of get on to him later. It's difficult to know when Robert Durst is telling the truth. Okay. What he does say, though, is that his memories of the funeral, there's a lot of trauma attached to that event him he said that at the funeral he just found it so traumatic because he didn't understand what was happening properly until he was like what do you mean my mum's in that box like i don't i don't want mommy to be in the box like yeah yeah i don't want that box to go in the ground and he like tried to go and get get her out of the box type thing he recounts his childhood as being troubled and said that he used to run away quite frequently other reports say that quite an intense rivalry grew between him and his brother Douglas. Mm. So Douglas is two years younger than Robert. And at one point, they actually had to get taken to therapy to try and resolve. Really? As children. Christ, yeah. That is yeah. bad, isn't it? Robert was described as a bit of a loner during high school, but he did become good friends with a lady called Susan Berman when he enrolled in a doctoral program at UCLA after completing a bachelor's degree in economics at another university. You're going to want to remember Susan Berman. Okay, she becomes quite prevalent Mm -hmm. later Mm -hmm. in the story. Mm -hmm. Susan was the daughter of a known mob boss. Oh, yeah. So she came from a crime family. Wow. And she wrote a book. She had a she wrote like a biography about being the daughter of a mob boss. Cool. Um, Yeah. And sort of gained her notoriety that way later in life. Yes. Remember Susan Berman. He was never particularly interested in working within the Durst organization. He chose to go and open a health food shop in Vermont. During the 1970s, which I just thought was a bit of a curveball. Okay, Mm -hmm. Rob, there you go. Bye. And it was during this time in Vermont that Robert met Kathleen McCormack. They fell in love Uh, quite quickly. And just after two dates, Robert asked her to move in with him to Vermont. What? Yeah. And she did. She moved to be with him in 1972. What are people doing on these dates? Just sweet romance, I guess. And also, I guess they must be kind of a little bit of like intrigue and majesty around him. Like he's this rich, like, yeah, you know, but he's oh, he's broken away from the mould. He doesn't want to be part of the family. Like, no, he's he doesn't want to be part of that health he, store. He's opened his health food shop. He wants to make it on his own. But he does. It's interesting because in interviews with Robert, he does talk about the fact that he knew he was from money and he knew that like he wouldn't just be able to open a health food store. No. Like, he had you know, to go. Normally, like he, he sort of seemed quite aware of his privilege as like, you know, well, I had a starter money. I could do what mm-hmm. I want, which is interesting. I'm not saying it was a good thing about him. Interesting guy. So they, they lived in Vermont. He ran his health food shop. She helped out. But interestingly, in 1973, he was convinced to move back to New York by his father, Seymour, mm-hmm. and join the Durst organization. But Why? Seymour managed to talk him into doing it. It's a family business. Family has to, mm. you know, run. It's a proper, like, it is proper dynasty-esque. Okay. But in a twist of events, Seymour goes against tradition and actually chooses Douglas to succeed him in running the company rather than Robert as the oldest child. But why? Well, I think it's because Robert, had, you know, didn't he buggered really have off a great, for a bit. Yeah, didn't really have the the best work ethic when it came to the right. Dust organization, and Douglas yeah. was a proper like lick ass. 
I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> like he worked really hard. Okay. And, you know, was like invested in. I'm only in, saying that because they were like rivals, and and I can imagine Douglas just being like a daddy, daddy. Look what I did. I think that Robert would probably see like say something similar. Okay, but no, I'm not saying that. Because also I'm really scared that one of them will hear this and they have so much money and if they ever sued me, I would just be living a hole for the rest of my life. So... Oh, are they still alive then? The Durst? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, great. Why? The Durst... They're still alive. The Durst organisation. Well, it's a whole family, Helen. What, they're not all going to die, I know, but I'm scared now you say that. What if they do hear this podcast and they don't like it? This happens all the time. We run this risk every time. That's very true. These people are fucking rich, though. Like, I just they're fucking rich. They're so rich. I really like you, Durst. You're wonderful. No, no, no. You don't no. want to say that oh. either. No, no. Wait till you hear the story. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that only succeeds to Douglas gets chosen instead of Robert. That only goes to intensify their rivalry. Oh, Robert's God. put out. Robert and Kathy got married after returning to Manhattan. They got married on Bob's 30th birthday, which I just thought was a nice little That's fact. Cute. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday. Um, I do. But according to Robert, he never really got on, particularly got on well with Kathy's family. He liked to sort of keep himself quite separate from them. Kathy was really upset by that because she was really close with her family. You would be, wouldn't you? Yeah. Though? And Robert sort of said it was like he was being forced to spend time with the average American family. Like, you Rude. know, they were just average people and he's not. He just found it difficult. He didn't know what to say to them. He didn't know how to relate to them because they were totally different levels of people and he's just so rich he can't he came, get well he can't that's get where he's their level of, yeah he sort of comes from you know like i've never lived like that i don't know how to relate to life like that god um, imagine <laughs> yeah it does make sense if you ever see footage of robert he's very blinky and like at times he's very emotionless and like cold in his stare apparently he was diagnosed with asperger's later mm-hmm. in life which kind of makes sense when you sort of hear him some of the way he talks about like his relationships and stuff. Okay. But yeah, this time he just didn't like him. But yeah, so they they were married. They had their relationship and it became sort of increasingly turbulent as the relationship, as the marriage oh, no. progressed. And at times it did become violent. In some of Kathy's diaries, she would say about how they would fight and occasionally she'd mention that Robert had hit her. Oh, that's not nice. No. Not cool. They stayed married until in early February in 1982, Kathy was reported as missing by Robert Durst. Oh, no. Yes. She was last seen on Sunday, January 31st, when the couple had gone to their lakeside home in South Salem, where on that Sunday, the 31st, they'd had an argument and she turned up unexpectedly at her friend Gilberta's house, who was having a dinner party and Gilberta was like, of course, just come in, have dinner. She normally was very put together, like well put together. She was in sweatpants and looked a bit dishevelled. She she wasn't her normal self. And according to Gilberta, Kathy left the dinner party. She got a phone call to the house. Don't forget, this is the 80s, so everything would have been on a landline. She got a call from Robert and then said she had to leave. And according to Gilberta, before she left, she said, if anything happens to me, I want you to look into him. Suspicious. Oh. Yeah. So Gilberta was like, okay, we'll go, like, I'll meet you at this pub later in the evening because I'm having this dinner party. And Kathy never showed. So, like, yeah, so she calls the police over the next few days and is like, I don't know where my friend is. But according to Robert, she came home from that party as though she'd been drinking and they fought again, had another argument. 
And she said that she wanted to go back to their apartment in the city. And he was like, mm-hmm. well, you can't drive because you're, you're pissed. Mm-hmm. And he said that he put her on a train from Katona Station mm-hmm. back to New York City. And then he went and had a drink with his neighbor and he went for a walk. And he called the apartment and spoke to Kathy later at the evening. He put her on a train around nine o'clock in the evening, apparently. Mm-hmm. And called uh, around 11-ish to make sure that she'd got back all right. Right. And spoke with her. It's interesting to note that a few weeks before her disappearance, she'd been treated at a medical centre for facial bruising, but had said she wasn't going to press charges. And she had also filed for divorce. Oh. Yeah. And she was asking for $250,000 settlement. Okay. Which, considered that Robert comes from a multi-million... Like yeah. Has, he has multi-millions. Yes. Not actually that a lot. That yeah. much. But he didn't react well to that at all. And he cancelled her credit cards. He removed her name from the joint accounts. He stopped paying her tuition because she was a fourth year medical student at the time. Oh, well, that's a bit unfair. He was pissed off. Yeah. That she'd asked for a divorce. Yeah. And he retaliated, but didn't didn't agree to the divorce terms. Okay. And she's kind of screwed because yeah. she's not going to be able to afford a lawyer that's on her own that's going to be able to be like... Well, yeah, that, that, this is a legacy family. They've, yeah. got, they've got lawyers on retainer. Like, but then um, again, I mean, yeah. she'd be entitled to something. Well, yeah, she, she'd be entitled to more than, way more than that. Yeah. In theory, she'd be entitled to half unless they'd signed a prenup. I don't know. We don't need to get into all of that. But yeah. Yeah. So like in the scheme of things, 250000 is not yeah, a lot of fair. money. But yeah, she was a fourth year medical student. And on that Monday, after she'd gone back to the city, supposedly she called the dean of the school to say she was sick and she wasn't going to be in class. Right. The day after. And that was the last time anybody heard heard from her ever again. Shit. So by the Thursday, so she, yeah, she left South Salem on Sunday the 31st. Monday the 1st, she calls in sick. On Thursday, the school calls the apartment and is like, where are you? Yeah. Like, we haven't seen you. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. What's going on? And Robert's like, ah, this is concerning. And then he reports her missing to the police. And now, according to him, his family had discouraged him to go and report her missing prior to that because they didn't want the attention. It would bring unwanted media attention onto the family. Like, it didn't look good. She's gone AWOL, whatever. Okay. So it's not like they've got an inkling that he's done something bad. They just don't want... We don't know that. Or they do. We don't know that. Once again, these really big, rich families keep things very closed, don't they? It's all about public appearance. Yeah. Who knows what they know? And not a lot of people are going to have the money or resources to be able to find out. God. Yeah. So Isn't it fucked that money can literally buy you anything pretty much? Well, no. I mean in the sense that... <laughs> well, literally, yeah. <laughs> it, it can buy you... Having money buys a lot of privilege. Yes. Yes. But, like, you can do bad stuff if you've got enough money you can pay for that bad stuff to be kept hush. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think you will have some more thoughts on that as we go forward. Maybe they didn't have enough money (laughs) to keep it hush. (laughs) I just think of, like, the powers above, like, Freemasons. (laughs) I mean... They have nothing to do with it. (laughs) You know, like, the secret societies that are just... Yeah, it's kind of that kind of vibe, like, you know, but the it's Volturi not, they're not, in they're Italy. Not. No, but they are a very big, powerful family. Like, Secret vampire I, cult. I just cannot impress them. They're a very big, powerful family. Okay. 
The building's doorman claimed to have seen Kathy on the Monday. Well, supposedly he saw her on Monday leaving the apartment, but she was half a block away at the time and it was from behind, so it might not have been her. Okay. And Robert's Durst spokeswoman and bestie, Susan Berman, became spokeswoman about Kathy's disappearance and told the media that the doorman saw her arrive home on the Sunday night. A mm. private investigator that was hired by the Durst family's defence lawyers later found this to be untrue and that the doorman in question hadn't seen her at all and actually wasn't even sure he was working that night. Oh. Yeah, but that wasn't sort of investigated at the time and it looks like the Durst fa- they hired this private investigator to try and find any holes in the defence. Right. Big, big fucking hole, I think, but there you go. So a $100,000 reward was put out for Cathy's safe return and that was very quick by Robert, but that was very quickly reduced to $15,000. I think that's really offensive. Yeah. Yeah. So one hundred and fifty thousand down. No, to just a hundred thousand dollars. That's hundred. Yeah, but yeah, hundred down to fifteen. That's quite a considerable drop. Fifteen one five. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, 15. yeah. Yeah. That's oh, that's what I think, and I'm just like, like rude. <laughs> when did my value just, yeah, just so significantly? So what quickly. did I do? Exactly. Yeah, but nobody came forward. Kathy was never seen or heard from again. Gosh. Yeah, Kathy's friends and family were. Very suspicious of Robert and were convinced that he had something to do with her disappearance. Constantly going to the police about it. They didn't have any sort of hard evidence. Right. And the police investigation doesn't seem to go very deep. There's not a lot about that. Like, they didn't even search the house in Salem or anything. Like They didn't? They didn't. Nope. No. At, at that time. Okay. No. It was just sort of like, okay, she's she's gone. She's decided she doesn't want to be found. And she's gone. Kathy's friends searched the house instead. Kathy's friends are like... They seem to be like, they're friends that you'd want to have on your side. Okay. They're, they're, they remind me a bit of like our girl group. Like right. if you went missing, me and the rest of the Flanders would be like, well, where's she? We're, we're going for your bins. We're like, <laughs> we're like sniffing your clothes and like sniffing the ground. To see, like, you know what I mean? And Kathy's friends, they searched her bins. They searched the house and they really? found the house to be like sort of semi ransacked. And they found her stuff in the bins. Like he'd been throwing away her things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So he was already like, ah, oh, she's gone. Bye. Fuck. Yeah. And interestingly, they found a note which had random words on it like boat, shovel, dump. If you look at those words, they're just random words, but like it's almost like a list of how to get rid of a body. No. Yeah. Like there was shovel and a question mark, but it was October and the ground would have been really hard. So you'd never have been able to dig through the ground. It's a lakeside property. So boat. As if you just write that down on a bit of paper. Yeah, then throw like, it away. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's just but, leaving clues. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but once again, it wasn't really taken very seriously because obviously, like, Kathy's friends just found it in the bin. Like, Okay. So she was just declared, she was just a missing person and Robert was able to divorce Kathy eight years later claiming spousal abandonment because there, no, oh. there was no evidence to support anything else. Not that they'd looked very closely. And I do have to wonder if he wasn't part of such a big family like big powerful rich about, family that would what, that have gone that way i was thinking exactly. the exact same thing coming like yeah. if it was the other way round perhaps it would have been taken more seriously perhaps it's just like mm, yeah so that was 1982 that she went missing in october 2000 so like almost 19 years later robert gets a call from his sister wendy to let him know that she's heard the case of kathy's disappearance is being reopened and that the da Janine Pirro is investigating Robert. Oh. 
I wonder why it was, it was reopened. Well, so supposedly there was like an acquaintance of the family or something had been arrested for some a misdemeanor mm-hmm. and claimed to know where Kathy was and tried to use that as leverage. Okay. Yeah. So they reopened the case. Police searched the house in South Salem. Like fucking like twenty like years nearly later. twenty years later, yeah. <laughs> and they did find, like, according to the person, the woman who owned the house at the time, mm. they found like a a bit. There was like a bit of the house, a little sort of like cupboardy bit underneath that she didn't even know was there. Oh, yeah. And they searched that. And when I was watching the documentary, I was like, <gasps> uh, but they found nothing. Oh. Like, yeah. But what are you going to find after all that time? It seems like a bit of a moot point at that point. But it's enough to spook Robert because he thinks that Janine Pirro, the DA, is going to use him. She's targeting him to further her career. She's like, okay. you know, so it's using him as a, as a leap pad to... to right, climb, so she, she solves the case, then she will... Yeah, like she pins on such a powerful man. Yeah. Like she's going to really... Like, and it's a case that's been on for so long. And yeah. it, at the time, it gained a lot of media attention when she disappeared, so... Yeah, like, big deal. So he just sort of loses his mind a little bit and goes into hiding. He decides to run away to Galveston, Texas. Okay. That's October 2000. He buys a wig and a blouse and he disguises himself (laughs) as a woman. As a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. He disguises himself as a woman because he said that he decided that all of this attention was coming on him and the common theme was him. Robert Durst was the problem in all of this scenario. So he just wasn't going to be Robert Durst anymore. So he ran to Galveston... (laughs) I mean, sorry, but why a woman? He could have just given himself like an epic makeover. So literally, according to himself, he was like, well, I needed to change my appearance straight away. Like I can't grow a beard overnight. Oh, that was a really bad New York accent. (laughs) He can't grow a beard overnight. Like what else can he do? He could shave his head. The best disguise, be a woman. Nobody's looking for a woman, are they? They're looking for like a middle-aged man or an an older man at this point is 2000. He's sort of like in his late 50s. Early 60s, yeah. So it kind of actually, okay, fair enough, Robert. Makes, makes I don't know why I'm sense. just picturing E.T. in a dress and that little wig on his head. I did too. <laughs> yeah. That's um, not me. Yeah. <laughs> but he rents a name under the, he rents an apartment under the name Dorothy Siner, who was the name of a girl from his year at high school. Buys a wig, blouse, becomes a woman, so that he didn't have to like disguise his voice. He decides that he's just going to be a mute woman. So he doesn't have oh to talk. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And like, what? Yeah, but in theory, like you see him from behind, you see the, bl- like, you're just like, okay, that's a this, mute woman. This can't be real. <laughs> it is real. Yeah. And it, for some reason it works. He lives there for over a year. Oh right. God. All he needs is for people to not look at him immediately be like, that's Robert Durst. Yes. Right, and that works. Why isn't this a common theme with other criminals? I don't, if it works. Maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, so he's there. He's he's Dor- become Dorothy Siner, the mute woman. And that's how he rents his house. And he has enough money to be able to get like IDs and things like that okay. to assume other identities. Interestingly, on December 24th in that same year, the year 2000, a couple of months after he goes into hiding, a couple of months after this case is reopened, his friend and previous spokeswoman for the case, Susan Berman, was found dead in her home in Beverly Hills, LA. Mm. She'd been killed by a single gunshot to the back of the head. <gasps> Assassinated. Execution. Now, that is quite common execution style as a mob hit. Like A mob hit? Yeah. And obviously we know that her father was um, a mob so, boss. Yes. She has all these gangster sort of relatives. So it's built to look like, it looks like she's obviously fallen foul of 
someone or maybe it was a retaliation for something else like or she's she's been the victim of a mob hit she's been executed shot okay. in the back of the head until a note addressed to the beverly hills police department just that on the envelope okay was posted the day before on december the 23rd the day right. before she was found right delivered to the beverly hills police department and inside is a note that has susan's address on it and just the word cadaver oh cadaver interesting word right what does that even mean a cadaver is a dead body that has been used generally used for medical purposes like for like surgeons to practice on oh yeah okay for medical science like cadaver it's a a medical term for a dead body oh this is so like puzzly isn't it yeah it's like a spider web i can see why you really like fucking love shit like this because you just love a mystery don't you a murder mystery yes okay cadaver on a note at the beverly hills police department on the envelope beverly of beverly hills was spelt wrong oh it was had an extra e in it b-e-v-e-r-l-e-y rather than r-l-y okay it should be so yeah they got that note they went to have a look at the address they found the back door open and inside susan the coroner determined that when at the time that she'd been found she'd probably been dead for around 24 hours Okay. When they searched the house, there wasn't a lot in there. Like, it was quite sparse. It turns out that Susan had fallen on hard times. She wasn't really earning any money at that point. Because she was a writer. And none of her sort of scripts or novels or anything had sort of been selling in the way that she expected them to. So at that time, they searched her hard drive and they found a list of friends, family members, people who had lent her money. Mm -hmm. She was keeping a list so that she could pay them back eventually. On that list was Robert Durst, and he was down for, like, a lot of money. He'd sent two checks over the few weeks previously, totaling 50 grand. Wow. Two checks for 25 grand. Yeah. And he confirmed this, so police went to him and were like, look, you know, you sent this money, like, can you tell us more about what was going on? And he confirmed with the police that he provided those checks, and he'd sent them, you know, sent them with a letter saying, you know, remembering... Robert Durst. Robert Durst, yeah. And he'd sent them to Susan... Say, you know, with notes, like, remembering old times, like, all the best, Robert. Okay. He also provided, they they were questioning him, they were sort of questioning him. He'd lent her quite a lot more than anybody else. Yeah, so they're asking, you know, like, about their relationship, how do they know each other, all of this. He ended up providing details of Susan's deposition um, in the Kathy McCormack case, as Kathy McCormack, his his Mm ex-wife, who disappeared. But then he declined to be interviewed any further on the matter. Okay. It's also worth noting... That it was known that Robert had been in California in December. Okay. As Robert, not okay. as Dorothy Siner. And he flew out of San Francisco around 9 or 10 p.m. on the 23rd of December. Oh. She was found on the 24th. Oh. There's no other reason to sort of question him any further. So we'll fast forward to October 2001. Robert's just been arrested after the body parts of Morris Black have washed up. And he's been caught. He's been got. They pick him up. He's got the bow saw in his car. We're back there now. They book him in, but they still have no idea who he is. He's just this librarian-looking guy, and he's just a bit shifty. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I've just can't. He's get previously the... been dressed as a woman. I can't not... get the picture of ET out of my yeah. head, and them just pulling little ET out of the car with a bow saw in the back. Going, no, he definitely doesn't <laughs> look like ET. Look at a picture of him. Okay, one sec. Robert Durst. Yeah. Yep. D-U-R-S-T. Ugh. 
It does look a bit he's, like E.T. in that picture. He's not particularly, he's he like, he's not a big guy. He's quite slight. He's quite thin. He's quite short. Like, he's really, really old. He's he's quite old. That is, that picture, that's probably a later picture where he's oh. like really old. But, yeah, spoiler, he gets to be really old. So, yeah, he's, he's he doesn't look like a murderer. Oh, particularly he like looks quite cute, really. To, to dismember somebody takes a lot as well, like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they've got no idea who he is, but they set you know the next day a bail bond is set at two hundred and fifty thousand dollars before his arraignment. Okay. Now I had to look up. We don't have this bail system no. in the UK, so I had to like look up. I don't. I, you hear about it all the time. Bail was set. They paid bail. Blah blah blah. I never really knew what it meant. So you need to watch more. Dog the Bounty Hunter. I do. But no, I did. I used to. But I just never really, like, what have they Understood done? Understood. You just think, they owe money and they didn't pay it, so dog's going to get them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, essentially, a bail bond is a deposit of money, normally money, or some form of property or something, to the court by the suspect so that they can be released from jail before their trial. So it's sort of a... Yes, okay. they, otherwise they just keep them in jail up until... Yeah, you can stay here or you can pay this money, get out of jail free card, until you have your trial to determine whether you're going to be yeah. put in jail. And the bail was set at 250000 which I think for murder is quite low, but also for the regular Joe, it's, it's a shit system because anybody... It's, it's poor people are never going to be able to afford that. Exactly. They're always going to be in jail. And obviously Robert Durst, they didn't know that at the time they set the bail. He was like, well, I don't have the money on me. And yep. so he makes his one phone call to his wife at the time, Deborah Lee Sharatan mm-hmm. in New York. And he told her what's happened. And she's like, okay, the money will be there in the morning. She wires the money across. He pays the bail. He's out. Yeah. And so his court hearing for his arraignment is set for the 16th of October. Okay. Obviously he didn't fucking turn up, did he? Because he's just paid 250000 It's nothing. He doesn't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gone. Nobody knows where he is. He disappeared. Yep. Yeah. He's fucked <laughs> off. Oh, why would you be like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll come back so you can maybe put me in prison. Forever? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously he's gone. Yeah. And an arrest warrant is issued for bail jumping. Wow. Yeah. During this time... Is he like a wanted man now? He's a wanted man because he's skipped bail on the he suspicion. skipped bail. And he's under the suspicion of murder. So what's the bail, like, what's the, what's the, what's it gone up to now? No, I don't really know about that. I don't okay, really right, okay, that okay. Works, but yeah, anyway. He managed to lay low for like over a month, but was picked okay. up. He was a, you're going to love this. Okay. He was picked up on the 30th of November in Pennsylvania. Right. When he was arrested for. No, no. <laughs> trying to steal a sandwich. No. <laughs> Why? Why is it all? And I know it's a fucking cow salmon. He's like a such a rich man. Mate, that's not even the weirdest part. He's trying to steal a sandwich. He's got 20 quid in his pocket. But what? He's got 20 quid in his pocket. <laughs> he could literally have paid for it right then. He's just stealing it for shits and giggles. No joke. He just, oh and when he was asked, why did you do that? He was like, I just wanted to see if I could get away with it. <laughs> Look, like, Rob, mate, you're a wanted man. You're a fucking, like, yeah. You need to watch your step. Idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something that could potentially get me arrested, even though I'm already wanted for murder. So he will say, at that point, he just didn't think there was any consequences. He was rich. He could just buy his way out of situations. There was no consequences. He's like Jasmine in Aladdin when she goes and gets that apple to go give to that poor child, and then she almost gets her hand cut off. Well, in a way, but not really, because there was no Aladdin to come and convince the police that, you know, she was deranged and talking to a camel. He had 20 quid in his pocket, 
But when they searched his car, there was nearly 40 grand in cash. There was like 37 in the car, car, like 37 grand in cash in his car. They also found two loaded guns, one of which was a nine millimeter pistol. Mm. Coincidentally, Susan Berman was shot in the head with a nine millimeter pistol. Can I just quickly say something? Mm. Just slight. It's not off topic, but Americans, if there's any American listeners out there, you guys just keep shit in your car that you shouldn't just keep in your car. I watched Independence <laughs> Day, yeah, the other day. And, you know, this is just one example. But how many movies have you watched, right, where they go to break into a car and they just pull down the wind, the sunscreen shield thingy and the keys, and they, are, and the keys are in there? I've That's always so thought fucking that. stupid. Why are the keys in the car? Yeah. Like, it's literally, like, number one of not like getting your car stolen. stolen. Like, Don't leave the keys there. I know. Yeah, but like, yeah, I just leave yeah, a casual forty no. k in here and, and when, some guns and shit. Well, That's fine, that wasn't yeah. the only, it wasn't the only thing that they found in the car. They also found a load of weed. Okay, he loved a, he like, loved his weed. Yeah, one of the lawyers was like, "He's all toked up." <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> all right mate I'm, and i'm just looking at this really old picture of yeah. him here he's all talked up oh bless him so yeah they found a load of weed and they also found morris black's driving license oh, the guy just... is running away from the suspicion of murder of morris black but he's using his fucking id to rent cars no yeah i was just thinking surely that would flag up on those sort of systems in the, the rental set, but then maybe they don't have like an interconnected I don't think, yeah, at that point. At that point. Yeah, I think it might be too soon. Because I thought that as well, but I guess not really. I think they just check for, like, convictions. Yeah. So he's using Maurice Black's driver's licence, and they also found directions to Gilberta... I don't know how to say her last name. I I do apologise. Gilberta Najame's house, who was friends with Kathy. That's where Kathy went for dinner. Direct? Oh. The night that she went missing. Oh, no, he's not going to pay her a visit, is he? Suppose there was suspicion that he was supposedly. He'd also spent time while he was on the run casing Douglas Durst's house. He'd been seen. Oh shit! Yeah, stalking Douglas Durst's house, and Douglas Durst had hired bodyguards. Why has he got beef with his own brother? We went through that earlier. They always had beef, but now, oh, okay. He's obviously a bit unhinged at this okay. point. He tried to steal a sandwich. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. They hold him on charges in Pennsylvania because he was found, he's got guns, he's mm-hmm. got weed, he was stealing. But ultimately, he's sent back to Texas to go on trial for the murder of Morris Black. I've seen footage of him entering the courtroom for this trial and he's cold. It's quite chilling to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, like He just seems very detached from everything. But then I heard a recording of him talking to his wife, Deborah on the phone and they were discussing like it was like I don't know what to do with my face you know should I I be smiling should I and she was like no I think you should just you know have as blank a face as possible like you know yeah yeah like which I just thought was a bit odd but like you know conversations you have with when your husband's under suspicion of murder Douglas had hired a lawyer as the Durst organization had hired a lawyer to defend Robert Mm mm-hmm Deborah hated that idea and he was like they're just out to get your money like Douglas has always been taking things from you like, yep. he took the company, like, this guy is not going to be acting in your best interest. Right. So Robert fires him and hires two lawyers instead, Michael Ramsey and Dick DeGarin, in a phone call. This is just to show you what they're playing with here. He's, like, totaling up legal fees and stuff, and he's like, okay, so that's one five, and then, like, with Dick as well, that's one eight million. Yeah. Like, $1.8 million, and he's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. 
how do lawyers not cost fucking, that much money? Yeah, but also it's not pocket change. You know what no. I mean? Like, and he's just talking about that like it's nothing. It's like he's, five million dollars at the time. I think at that time the Durst organization was five. worth something like eight hundred million dollars. Robert himself had at least eighty million dollars. Like shit. Yeah, it's fucking big money. So he's got this big short defense team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going against the state. Okay. Yeah. So Robert's defence team advised him to plead not guilty to the charge of murder, which he did. I think this sounds a bit mad. He pleaded not guilty and then his defence tried to like make him out to be this person with feelings. Because don't forget, it's not just he's under suspicion of murder because there's a dead guy. There's a dead guy in pieces. Yeah. Right. That's not an You can't. There's no accident. No. He do, you can't accidentally end up with your limbs chopped off from your torso. And, and, and your head missing. And your head gone missing. There's something yeah. a bit deeper than that. Yeah. It's not like he accidentally hit him with a car. No. Or, so, you know. They tried to. They claimed self-defense. What? Okay. He's, <laughs> what? So he's charged with murder. Right. So they tried to say it's not murder. It, it was, was self-defense. self-defense. And essentially it was like. Prove it wasn't, was their defence, basically. Prove it wasn't self-defence. Yeah. But then also, why? But but then, but why did he chop his body off and so keep his head somewhere A else? very good question. Right. So what they tried to do was make Robert out to be this really, like, hu- they really tried to humanise him, oh, which is difficult God. because, as we said, they, like, he was late, he was diagnosed with Asperger's. Yes. Like, he's, not, he's not particularly personable as a person when you're presented with him. So he carried pictures of him and Kathy on their wedding day in his wallet up until that day. So they tried using that, like, look, he's just a guy who he'd been targeted for her disappearance and he's obviously still, like, cares about her. He carries pictures of them. So he'd run away and he wasn't in his right mind. Mm-hmm. And then he was being persecuted. They managed to humanise him to the point that when they said about him buying the blouse and handbag and stuff to mm-hmm. disguise himself, the jury laughed. Oh. Yeah. So it was working. Okay. And they also then p- painted Morris Black to be this cantankerous, bad-tempered old man who was really argumentative. And he was. He would right. go down the street and, like, shout at a guy on his porch for smoking. Like, really? On a porch that wasn't even his house. Okay. Like, yeah. So <laughs> Sounds like my old yeah. next-door neighbour that when I lived at my nanny's yeah. house, she came to my door with a cigarette butt and was like, this is yours. I went, prove it. <laughs> yeah, basically <laughs> we- Morris Black. And so apparently he got an eviction notice and they'd become friends, Robert and Morris, and because Morris had, you know, found him to not be a mute woman. Okay. They developed a friendship. They'd go places together, supposedly, according to Robert. Yeah. They were friends. And, you know, Morris turned up with this eviction notice and was like, fuck this, and like shot at the eviction notice and stuff and was a bit unhinged, is what they sort of said. Well, yeah. And then, you know, sort of implied that Morris had asked Robert for money because he knew who he was. Okay. And when Robert said no... He came home one day and found Morris in his apartment with a gun and who was angry and they fought. Robert Elbow set the gun off by accident and Morris was dead. And then he panicked. And and cut him up. Yeah, actually, that's what he said. He was like, I knew I wouldn't be able to move the body myself. Like, you know, I was like, well, what do I do? I need to get rid of the body. But because if people come here and they see like the past with they got Kathy, they got Susan, you know, he's been tied to those circumstances, but never convicted. But, you know, it looks bad, doesn't it? Right, yeah, because if he... Yeah. Would, I know what you're so trying he's, to say, So yeah. he's panicked. He needs to get rid of the body and, like, because otherwise he's definitely going down. There's no way they're going to listen to him and believe that it was an accident. Yeah. And he knows that he's not strong enough to drag a body out to the car. Okay. So he Ooh. chops him up. And then he never disclosed what happened to the head. The head was never recovered. The head, to this day, nobody knows where that is. 
We talk about murder all the time, and we know and we know what what's entails with like the law and stuff. But I still find it really out of this worldly that you hire a defence team and you tell them what you've done wrong, and their job is to try and not get you in trouble for that. So yeah. him having to sit down and tell a, a couple of lawyers like, "Yeah, I killed him, and then I cut him up. Help me out here," and they have to seriously go, "Okay." We yeah. will try and not get you in trouble for that. That is somebody's job, isn't it? It's balmy. Yeah, but I mean, they're quite clever because how do you prove it wasn't self-defence? They were the only two people there. Exactly. You can't. But what he did do was admit to dismembering the body because of that. And he said, like, the torso went into a suitcase and then he put the other body parts into separate bags. And there was a storm that night. So he dumped the bags in the bay thinking that they would sink and get swept away. But in a weird, which normally they would have done, but in a weird turn of events, the storm cleared like really quickly and they floated back up to the top and just sort of stayed there. Got it. So he goes back early in the morning to check that they'd gone, sees the bags floating around and is like, fuck, gets the head because they found an empty bag with like knife marks. And so they think he's gone back and he's got the head. One detective reckons that if they ever found the head, there'd be a bullet hole in the back of it. Ooh. So uh, he's sort of panicked and he's like, fuck, that, you know, they're, they're, they're going to have got me. And yeah. So the trial took six weeks in total. And after five days of deliberating, the jury found him not guilty of murder. Because, what? Because they couldn't prove, the prosecution weren't able to prove successfully that it wasn't self-defence. Okay. So they decided he wasn't guilty. And there's a documentary, which I'm going to get onto in a bit, called The Jinx. Mm-hmm. And they interview some of the members of the jury. And they all say, like, you know, he was convincing. And to this day, they do not believe that he murdered Morris Black. On December 21st, 2004, Durst pleaded guilty to two counts of bail jumping and one count of evidence tampering for the dismemberment. Just think you've got to be... You cut a man's body up, but it's evidence tampering. Yeah. So he took a plea bargain and received a sentence of five years. And he was given credit for the time he'd already served. So he he only had to serve three years in prison. Fucking hell, man. Yeah. That's not the end of the story. Oh, my God. That's that's an incredible story just up to that point, isn't it? Yes. But that's not the end. You know, that all garnered a lot of media attention and stuff. But, you know, that happened. He went to prison. He he served his time. He came out. In 2010, a film was released called All Good Things, which was inspired by Robert and his first wife. Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. And I'm like, if you had to have someone play you in a movie, you've seen what Robert Durst looks like. Fucking Ryan Ryan Gosling is gold. Yeah. What what a compliment. What a compliment. Yeah. And Kirsten Dunst played his wife, Kathy. Once again, like... Beautiful woman. Lovely woman. And Robert Durst saw the film. Apparently he liked it so much that he then reached out to the filmmaker, Andrew Jarecki. Really? Yeah, and agreed to be interviewed. And previously, he'd never cooperated with the media. Did he go to the premiere? I don't know, actually. <laughs> that would be <laughs> odd, wouldn't it? <laughs> but, um, yeah, and so Jarecki meets with him periodically over a couple of years and makes this documentary miniseries. It's a six-part documentary called The Jinx, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst. Right. Yeah, and it's it's great. Watch it. It's so interesting because you get first-hand experience of Robert Durst as a person. Like okay. he, there's a lot of interview stuff. And later found out after like watching it and doing some more research, some of it is quite heavily edited. It's it's mad that he agreed to do it, to be honest. And they spent a lot of time together. And it's quite interesting because you see Jarecki go through this sort of journey of his relationship with Durst because obviously he's he's sort of under suspicion for all these horrible things. 
almost find yourself quite liking him because he, he he appears to speak quite honestly right. about what's going on. So his lawyers were like, don't do this. They're fucking terrible idea, Bobby. Because there's a, you know, there's a risk that you could say you've lied to the jury or accidentally say something that inadvertently means you get tried in New York for the disappearance of Kathy or in LA for the murder of Susan. Yeah. Things he's already been suspected of. So like, don't do it. He's like, fuck you lawyers and do what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I may be paying you nearly $2 million each, (laughs) but... I'm not going to take your advice. Yeah, and I mean, he he does come across quite well in some points and you can see how sort of maybe the jury did come to believe what he was saying and in his interviews, I do think like when he was talking about Susan Berman, he's quite emotionless, like it's quite this, he's got this kind of cold stare but also you can tell when he's uncomfortable. I think it looks like a tick, like a nervous tick or something which mm-hmm. could be related to if, he was neurodivergent mm-hmm. like it could be sort of a tick related to that but like under, after answering some question he does this like face scrunchy thing he's really blinky sort of oh okay yeah double blinking can be a sign of a lie like if you watch a lot of crime right you know, like csi and stuff like that like i do that's one of the things that you look out for he talks about the trial and that he was told not to lie but when they were looking at the oath they decided his lawyers sort of advised him to take the oath very literally so the oath of you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So they were like, tell the truth. And if they ask you a question, tell nothing but the truth, but decide whether you have to tell the whole truth in order to tell the truth, basically. By omitting some parts of the truth, you're not lying. Got you. Yeah. And I mean, there's my brain thing. just went, wow. Yeah. And I mean, that, that could also be known as lying by omission. Yes. Um, yeah. So to quote him, he said, if there's something so terrible, you don't want to say it or you think it will be construed the wrong way, then leave it out. OK. Sounds to me like a lie, but OK. Andrew Jarecki then asks if there's something he left out that would have sort of changed the jury's mind or if there were moments that he knew he was being limited in what he was saying. OK. Robert answers that he'd have to think about it and that he'd sort of next time he interviews him he'll see I'll see if I can come up with something like okay he's a bit cagey about it I think when you look at it right yeah so Jarecki then suggests a quick break he's like shall we just have a quick break a couple of minutes And he's like yeah okay and Robert Durst sits there and this is all on camera he thinks that his mic is off mm. but the mic is still on the cameras are rolling and he just says quietly to himself he goes I did not knowingly lie I did not knowingly purpose or purposely lie I did not knowingly or purposely intentionally lie, but I did make mistakes. Like he was practicing what he was saying. Oh. Yeah. And his lawyer, like fucking, he gets there so quick and he's like, your mic is on. And he's like, your mic is hot, so we can't talk properly, but stop talking to yourself, basically. I'm like, oh, okay. They carry on making the film. Robert disappears for a little while and sort of doesn't want to be interviewed, right, right. But during the investigation for the documentary, they turn up all kind of evidence because they're going to everyone. They're going to Kathy's friends. They're going to Kathy's family. They're going to Susan's family. And Susan Berman's stepson, during the investigation, he actually developed quite a close relationship with Robert after Susan died because Ooh. Robert like reached out and he did the same thing with Kathy, like reached out to his, her friends and stuff. Okay. Almost like buddy up and be like, it couldn't possibly be me. Look how concerned okay. I am. Right, right. Yeah. But during the investigation, Sareb finds a letter to Susan from Robert that must have had one of the checks in it. He's like, oh, I found this extra box of stuff, Susan's stuff that I hadn't really looked through before, but I found it. Yeah. And he found this letter inside an envelope. 
that had Susan's address on it. Yeah. With the word Beverly spelt with an extra E. I knew you were going to say that. I've got goosebumps just saying it. (laughs) He can't spell Beverly, can he? When you look at it, there are some consistencies with the handwriting, but they're also, Uh. it's not like dead. It's not a dead match, the handwriting. I will say that when you look at it. But But, 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 it's a fucking coinky dink, isn't it? It is a coinky dink. Look, my nips have gone hard. <laughs> yeah, because when I was watching it, I just went, oh, "What the fuck?" Like, yes, it's, yeah, it's mad. Shit. So, spoiler alert. Right. In the last episode of the documentary, they confront Robert about this. Yes. They go into how like they're going to word it. They spend loads of time like making sure that they word and go into it without him freezing up and not telling them anything. Okay. And Bob says, "Well, yeah, that you know, it's spelt wrong. Like they show him the envelope, they show, mm-hmm, him, and mm-hmm. then they're like, it's spelt wrong." Mm-hmm. And then they show him the note, the cadaver note. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, well, it's spelt wrong. And he's like, but I didn't write the cadaver note. Yeah. I didn't write that. He says flat out, I didn't write it. And Drake is like, okay, well, thank you. Yeah. And they sort of move away from the table. Mm-hmm. And um, Robert's like, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Where's the bathroom? Doesn't realise his mic is still on. Again? Yeah. Talks to himself in the mirror. Oh. Now, this is how it's said in the in, in the documentary. Right. It is later confirmed that they had edited the order of what he said, but all of the things are exactly what he said. Okay. Okay, yeah. This is it, isn't it? Like when you're making TV, the yeah. things can be... Yeah. So he says to himself, that's it. You're caught. They're right, of course. You're right, of course. But you can't imagine. Arrest him. I don't know what's in the house. Oh, I want this. What a disaster. He was right. I was wrong. And the burping, because when he they ask him, he starts burping and he's all bleeding yeah. and stuff, and it's uncomfortable. Um, he goes, I'm having difficulty with the question. What the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course. No. It's all recorded. It's shit. Yeah. So he didn't say it in that exact order, and they did get told off a little bit later when it all went to court, because they, they, they his defence basically tried to say that he was... Right. They, they, they made it more incriminating than it was but even in the order that it he said it yeah it's pretty fucking bad yeah exactly i mean like i could list off i could be talking for hours and you could just edit me saying i killed them yeah like from a bunch of different stories like so he's done it again but this is the thing so like he's already done he's already no like he didn't learn from the first time check your fucking mic is off before you admit to killing people yeah right i mean to be honest, the amount of times that I've gone to the toilet with my mic still on when I've been on sets and gone like, I hope you can't do me pee right yeah. now. <laughs> but yeah. they probably don't care. But yeah. yeah, at least I've not murdered anyone and admitted yeah. it to myself in the mirror. So the documentary just ends there. Shit. Um, yeah. And before that last episode where they confronted him was aired, a few days before that episode was aired, mm. an arrest warrant for first degree murder in relation to Susan Berman was signed. And oh. the day before... That episode was aired. Robert Durst was arrested by the FBI. Oh, my God. Because the filmmakers had went to law enforcement and were like, mm. you know, they, they sought legal advice as to when they should best yes. present that evidence to legal entities. And then they worked with police bodies and stuff Yeah, before it was all aired. So it yeah. was all like sort of above board. Yeah, but it was all kind of like coordinated. Okay. If that makes sense. Which the defense later tried to manipulate in their favour by saying it shouldn't be admissible and stuff right. like that. They picked Robert Durst up. They arrested him. They found him in New Orleans where he'd registered at a hotel under the false name of Everett Ward. They found him because he dialed into his voicemail a couple of times, like from the same location. Okay. 
and then was seen mumbling to himself and sort of wandering around the lobby of his hotel. <laughs> now, that, that is pr- more prevalent because before he's he's sort of known for dialing into his voicemail from different locations and okay. he used to collect call the organisation and stuff. So, yeah, he's just sort of seems to be a bit sloppy in that kind of respect yeah. about like leaving crumbs. Right. Yeah. Um, Very sloppy. Yeah. When he was arrested, he was found to have in his possession a 38 calibre revolver loaded with four live rounds and one spent shell casing. So he had shot the gun once. Police also recovered five ounces of marijuana, Durst's birth certificate and passport, maps of Louisiana, Florida and Cuba, a flesh-toned latex mask, a fake Texas ID card, which he used to check into the hotel, right? a new cell phone, cash yep. of just over 42 grand. Fuck. But then they also discovered a UPS tracking number which led to an additional $117,000 in cash. Oh, my a God. A pair of shoes that had been sent to him by a friend. He'd asked a friend to send them over. I mean, all the evidence, all of that points towards he was going to run. Yeah. Like he, was, he was gearing up to, to leave the country as soon as possible. They think, like, it's suspected that he was probably going to go to Cuba because they yeah. could extradite him from there. But, yeah, so it's a fucking mess because he's in Louisiana yeah. They have him on being a felon in possession of a firearm. Right. So he's held up there under those charges. He ends up pleading guilty to federal weapons charges and receives an 85-month sentence. So he goes to prison for the gun charges in Louisiana. Okay. But then he still has to stand trial for the... He's been arrested under... Suspicion of... The, like, for the murder of Susan Berman. So... That actually doesn't go to trial until 2019, where then there's the preliminary hearing. Oh, so very recent. Yeah, because it's a mess. It just took ages to sort of iron all of that because the documentary aired. He was arrested for the murder yep. in 2015. Oh, God. Yeah, so it's all taken a while. It has. During the preliminary hearing, the judge ruled that they could present evidence involving Morris Black's murder because they were going to try and connect Susan Berman's death with Kathy's disappearance which they argued was the foundation for the motive behind Susan's murder. Supposedly, she'd called Robert and said, they want to ask me questions about Kathy. Okay. And so they think he killed her because she knew too much. Yes, okay. Yeah. Right, that makes sense. And so then they said they could use the evidence from the black killings because it all seemed to be quite intertwined. Mm-hmm. So perhaps Morris Black knew too much. Okay as well and so they added special circumstances to the charge with allegations of lying in wait and killing a witness to a crime oh it was a whole thing it took ages they tried to have the handwriting analysis dismissed like i said earlier because in the interview robert does say well it's a big risk whoever wrote that note like whoever wrote the note was the killer oh it's fucking you mate wasn't it you know that <laughs> yeah, it was you, Robert. <laughs> Interestingly, they were like, you know, you can't. He's he didn't write the note. He he said so many times. He says so many times that he did not write that note. And then later in the trial, they're like, yeah, he did write the note. He wrote the note. But then, so that was all in the preliminary hearing. The trial was set to begin in like March 2020. And we all know what happened then. It got oh de- fuck! It got delayed by COVID. Oh my god, this is so recent. It's yeah. like it's this okay, right? Yeah, so Shit. it got delayed by COVID and didn't actually couldn't actually start until like May 2021. Okay. By then, Durst had developed bladder cancer, and his lawyers filed to say that he couldn't to postpone indefinitely because he just wasn't well enough to stand trial. Right. <laughs> Eventually, the, the the court basically said, no, he's far, like, he, he can talk for himself. Okay. Like, st- he needs to stand trial. So on the 17th of September, 2021, 
The jury convicted Durst for the first degree murder of Susan Berman and he was also found guilty of multiple special charges. But the lawyers said they were going to pursue all avenues of appeal, you know, because they've got unlimited resources, basically, Mm -hmm. don't they? There was no evidence for a new trial, so, you know, it wasn't really going to go well. On October 14th, 2021, Robert Durst was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for Berman's murder. The request for a new trial was denied by the court in view of the abundance of evidence. Okay. There's loads of evidence. So, yeah, he remained in custody until he died of a cardiac arrest in a hospital in Stockton, California, on the 10th of January 2022 and he died at the age of 78. Oh my gosh, so yeah, Christ. Very yeah. Very recent. During his lifetime, he was never convicted for any crimes that were connected to the disappearance of his wife Kathleen yeah. Mac, although her family have filed suits against him for her wrongful death and she right. was declared legally dead in 2016. Yeah. God, so, so that's not so, been on earth for what no, actually happened. No, and to they, her. they essentially will be never ju- never be any sort of substantial justice for her because he's dead now they and never found where morris's black's head is what was meant by cadaver well kathleen Mm. medical student yeah wasn't she so it's thought that maybe robert just used that word because he'd picked it up from being around her so much right and so rather than not a normal person would just be like there's a body here and he just said cadaver and like you know what i said about he's just not really clever in disguising crumbs i think if he'd have said dead body or like body it might not have been as incriminating towards him. Because I'm looking at the picture of the note. and so Weird, isn't it? It's just a weird word to use, and a lot of people like it's a weird word. Just to clarify, so he, that note was written to the Beverly Hills to police to notify them that she was dead in her apartment. Yeah. Why would you do that? Because he cared about her. Didn't want her to lie there and rot. Messed up. Yeah. So that was the... It's bizarre, isn't it? And shocking case. It is! It's very crummy. That was the case like, of Robert Durst. Christ on a bike. Yeah, spiderweb. That is a spiderweb, but also incredibly sloppy. I know it's, it's not... It's almost impossible to believe, isn't it's, it? It's, I was going to say, it's almost quite comical at just how yeah. sloppy it is. It, obviously, it's not funny because people have died and gone missing, etc. But it's almost like, wow, what next? Yeah, and it is. I think it is just like he coasted on being able to get away with things for so long. If you dig even deeper, there's so much you can dig into for this. And there's even like he was looked at after he was convicted of all of this. He was looked into, there were some other disappearances, like a girl disappeared from nearby the health food shop yeah. in Vermont at the time that he was there. Shit. Like it's possible because he just had so much money. He could just this get is what away I was going to say. Like reinventing himself, you, you know, just buy his way out of stuff. When you've got money, you know, there's that whole like, trope of like really really rich people just don't have a clue they're so disconnected from the real world they just float around with all their cash it's like that because he just does these things and just can just like iron it out with a bit of cash like it's okay i'll just throw money at this problem and it'll be fine until eventually he couldn't anymore yeah yeah so yeah mad totally mad shocking well you know what i enjoyed that and i can tell that you really enjoyed telling me that Thank you. It and obviously I don't really enjoy what great. happened. And I think it's really sad about yeah, Kathleen. Yeah, no, it totally wife. is. I think that's sort of the sticking point for me that, that like, you know, where is she? What happened to her? And I just really feel like at least her family, her parents died not knowing what happened to her. And I think that is so sad. Yeah. Yeah. And they tried so hard to find out. I bet they did. Yeah. But that's that. Yeah. Well, well done. Thank you for that. Cheers, babe. Next time on Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're going to be looking into the case of Lorena Bobbitt. Subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. And don't forget you can find us on Instagram 
at Devils in the Duck. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.